Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. Okay, Revelation is a complex book, but we've been going through it. We're today on Revelation chapter 18. If this is the first time you showed up with us, um, I'm going to give you just a quick recap of where we've been since Revelation 11, because a Revelation 11 to Revelation 20 is one big chunk of essentially the church period and the very end of history. But it's split up in a very interesting prophetic way where, um, for example, Revelation eleven nineteen, we see that after six trumpets of proclamation that God is supreme and the dragon, Satan, is a punk, there's a seventh trumpet that blows And we're told that the moment that seventh trumpet blows, the sky cracks open, you can see the temple, and stuff starts happening. There are multiple things that happen, and we see them happening in Revelation 15 through 16. But before we get there, following the trumpet declaration, from Revelation 12 through Revelation 14, we see this picture. It's filled with symbolisms and it gives us an understanding and it gives us language to understand what's happening in the church age and what will eventually happen right before the end of history where Jesus returns. And that's what's confusing about it because it seems like things should be chronologically in order and this happens and this happens, but that's not the way prophecy works. There's visions laid on top of chronological events, interrupted by clarifications, and more symbols that bring further clarifications, and then we get back into the timeline, and then we pause for more clarifications, because what is happening at that final seventh trumpet is the culmination of history. It's all over at that point. When Jesus returns, Time and history have finally started to come to an end. This is the thing that all the prophets in the Old Testament have been writing about and talking about, and it's not delaying anymore. It is here. When that trumpet blows, it's done. But it's not just Jesus returning. There are multiple things that happen at that moment when the sky cracks open and the last trumpet blows. And this is what we see in Revelation chapter 12 through 14. We see this picture of a woman and a dragon and there's this beast and we see all the players and the characters that are happening leading up to that moment of the seventh trumpet. But then the seventh trumpet blows and we have this picture of a great harvest. And the harvest is twofold. The harvest is God gathering his people to himself. And the harvest is also bringing judgment upon those who reject the rule of the Lamb. So it's one event when the trumpet blows, but there are multiple things that happen at that moment. And then we get more clarification on that harvest in Revelation 15, 16. So there's these trumpets, and then the last one blows, and then all of a sudden things open up and Christ is 
is initiating his return and things are starting to happen, but the vision is interrupted for some clarity about some things that took place in this period of time. I need to give you some understanding on the characters before we go back into what happens that moment. And then it leads right back up to that moment. And then he returns and there's a gathering of his people. And then there's a punishment on the earth. And at that point in 15 and 16, we pick up with the punishments. It's called the seven bowls of wrath. And they're poured out in, onto the earth as Christ is returning, all the same event. And these seven bowls are being poured out. And then we get to Revelation chapter 17 and this question of, well, okay, the dragon is being punished, the beast, the antichrist, the false prophet, those who follow the, the beast with the mark of the beast, they're, they're all receiving the wrath of God. What happens to the worldly systems? And then John shows us this picture in Revelation 17, and this is where we were last week, of this woman seated on this seven-headed beast with ten horns. And she's described as the great prostitute among the nations. And we're told that her name is Babylon. And we're told that this woman is the great city of Babylon at the end of history, but she's more than just the great city. She's a symbol of a symbol of a symbol. She is the picture of this great prostitute, but she symbolizes the great city of Babylon. But she's not just Babylon. She's Babylon, but she's more than Babylon because Babylon has now spread over the entire earth and every corner of the earth is like Babylon. Every city is Babylon. But cities are symbolic of that because cities are where humans gather and they experiment in human exaltation, elevating themselves above the glory of God. And so cities are really just a picture of the ways that humans try to find symbols and structures to elevate themselves above God and make themselves like God. So we have this picture in Revelation 17 of this great prostitute who is selling wickedness to the nations. And she's a city, but she's so much more than a city. But the thing about this picture of Babylon is that she isn't the first Babylon. At the time of John writing and giving this vision, there isn't actually a city named Babylon. Babylon was destroyed hundreds of years earlier. But there is a city that embodies Babylon, and when he talks about Babylon, he's thinking Rome. Which is fascinating. Because what it means is that there, there are things that are true about the end of history, in Revelation 11 through 20, it's talking about a period of time we haven't hit yet, but there are things that are true about that period of time that aren't only true in that period of time. There isn't just one Babylon. There isn't just one great prostitute. There have been many throughout the history of humanity. There was a literal city named Babylon who embodied all the things that we're going to read, and then there was this other Babylon that took the form of Rome. And so the question we have to wrestle with today was, okay, well, are there any other Babylons? What's the spirit behind this thing that's infiltrating cities throughout history, and is it at work today? Or is it something that has been dormant and asleep and it won't show up until much later at the end of history? There is a commentator that I've been reading, his name is G.K. Beale. He wrote a really good commentary on Revelation, 
But I was listening to a talk that he was giving recently, and he was trying to describe the way we should be thinking about this picture of the great prostitute in Babylon. And it encompasses more than that, but I think it would be helpful for us to kind of get this picture in our head. What he's talking about, essentially what he says is that, uh, is everyone familiar with like a stock market line? It goes up and it goes down. His imagery is that God's word is kind of like a stock line that's always trending up because it's always being fulfilled. And there are these moments in history where it spikes. And these spikes are fulfillments of God's prophecy, but not the ultimate final fulfillment of the prophecy. And these spikes are designed to prepare God's people so that they know what's coming. When, when you see that, like, oh man, I, I know, I've seen this before. So as you look through history, Babylon, literal Babylon, it's a spike. Rome, it's another spike. We're told in 1 John 4, 3, that there, that there will be an antichrist one day who comes, but there are already antichrists at work, even in the first century. So leading up to this point where an antichrist rises up and deceives the nations and starts murdering Christians, before we get to that point, there's gonna be many spikes. And at one point, sometime in the future, it is gonna spike so high and so fast, it's gonna catch many off guard because they're sleeping and that's gonna be the one. And so with this imagery in our mind, until that massive spike hits that we read about in Revelation 11 through 20 when we see this great beast rising up out of the sea, Revelation still has a lot, of, for a lot to say to us today. And the reason why I gave this recap is so that you understand the value of where we're going because I get it. When you read chapter after chapter after chapter of destruction and death and blood and then more destruction and let's cycle back to death, here's a little more death sprinkled with some more blood, it gets exhausting. I get it. And so you, the, the, the temptation is to think, well, that's something that's going to happen in the future and it's just so sad. I don't want to read about it. But if you don't familiarize yourself with the word of God, specifically this book, you rob yourself of the wisdom and the understanding of being able to pay attention to the work that will happen sometime in the future that's already at work today. You miss the spikes. That's why we're studying the book. Because there is a great prostitute that will rise up at the end of the age and deceive the entire world, but I'm here to tell you that she's already at work and she has already begun to deceive many today. And if you don't see it, you might be under her control. You might have bought something that she was selling. You might be thinking that it's a blessing God sent your way but it's actually something that the great prostitute of the nations has sold to you in order to keep you under bondage so that you can't live in the real freedom that Christ has given you. And it comes in the form of lies, seduction. And so what I wanna to do today is I wanna to go through Revelation 18 and I wanna 
I wanted to expose the disgusting ways that this prostitute infiltrates humanity even in our day. And I want to consider the invitation from this chapter to come out from under her influence. So that's where we're going today. Today's study in Revelation 18 it is an invitation to consider all of the ways at which the great prostitute is at work today and to hear the invitation of the Holy Spirit to come out from under her control and it's done symbolically through a funeral parody. An angel comes and declares over the earth that Babylon has fallen and, her, and, and God's people need to come out from under her control because if they don't, they will suffer the same wrath that's coming her way. You ready? Revelation 18, verse one, let's get to it. It says, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit. That word haunt is essentially a residence or a home. You guys familiar with the idea of a haunted house? These demonic spirits have taken up residence among the great city of Babylon, and they live there like they own the place. A haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Now let's pause right there. John sees an angel come descend from heaven and declare the fall of Babylon. Now this is multiple references here. This is a database reference that goes back to Isaiah 13, Isaiah 21, and Jeremiah 50. Two places in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies the fall of Babylon, but what he's talking about is the literal city of Babylon in modern day Iraq. It, it was crushed, it was buried in sand, and we didn't even discover it, we didn't even discover the location of the legitimate real Babylon until archeologists found it in the 1900s. God decimated that place, buried it under sand, and humanity forgot where it was. And that was the prophecy that Isaiah was speaking over the literal Babylon. You're gonna, you're gonna be a desolate in the wasteland. Sand is gonna cover you. The only people, the only things that are gonna call you home are owls and jackals, animals that live in the desert, demonic spirits. So this is a callback to that. So there's a reference here to historical Babylon. Fallen, fallen is historical Babylon. But then we see that this angel's declaration mirrors the declaration from the angel in Revelation 14, eight, just a few chapters ago that we studied. 
We're told that right before events start transpiring, these bowls being poured out, the three angels fly over the earth in a vision and declare things about the earth. The gospel is proclaimed and then a proclamation is spoken over Babylon. You have fallen. And this angel proclaimed that before, chronologically, Rome or evil Babylon had fallen. So we see that this prophecy includes historical Babylon. It includes a final Babylon that will be destroyed and wiped out one day at the end of the earth. But as I said just a few moments ago, Babylon was also a code word for Rome. You see this in Peter's letter, 1 Peter 5, 13, when he says, she who is at Babylon, likewise those who were chosen. He's writing a letter to those who were in Rome, but he calls them residents of Babylon. In the first century, it was commonplace for Christians to associate in their faith what they saw in the world they lived in, what they saw in the culture and the country they lived in, things that sounded and looked a lot like things that they saw and read about in Babylon hundreds of years before. So what is the point I'm trying to make? I'm trying to make the point that the great prostitute has had many flags and many logos over the history of humanity, but it's all the same human exaltation. In every case, historic, current, and future, Babylon always becomes a sanctuary for filthy demons, gluttony, immorality, drunkenness, sexuality. She seduces the kings of the age. She convinces merchants and sailors to come and make a profit off of her sinful lifestyles. And she always ends up the same way, fallen, covered in dirt, desolate. So the question we have for us today is, if we see the spirit at work throughout history, if we know that the end is always the same, fallen, the questions I think we should wrestle with today are, one, what ways do we see our current culture and country functioning as a prostitute? When you read the news, when you prepare yourself to go in on Tuesday to vote, it is important as a believer to ask yourself, what ways has this culture I'm living in given themselves over to this great prostitute who loves rising up within a culture or a country and controlling the political, the financial, the educational, the, um, uh, the entertainment uh, sector, the, the healthcare sector? What ways does she like infiltrating the culture and the country to start manipulating the ways that she wants things to work? And is that at work here? And if it is, what do we as believers do about it? Let's go to verse four. This is, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out 
of her. My people. That's important. I got to read it again because it's the whole point of this chapter. I heard another voice from heaven after I saw the picture of the great prostitute, after I saw the angel already declare she's going to fall, I heard another voice in heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins and share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I'm no widow and mourning I will never here. See, for this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Her plagues will come that day when the last trumpet sounds and the sky opens up and the king of glory releases his angels to pour wrath upon her. Death and mourning and famine and she will be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord who has judged her. So what should God's people do if a culture or country spikes toward Babylon? Come out from her. Get the filth of this world off of you. Do not spend another moment being washed in the residue of her influence in news feeds and bank accounts and calendars in your mind coming out of your mouth. Start paying attention to the influence that this woman has over the powers that be and the way they're trying to get you to line up and head down a wide path towards destruction. Wake up, come out from under her influence. Stop believing her lies. There is a powerful system of imageries. There's an entire festival surrounded around this idea in Jewish culture. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In Deuteronomy 16:4, the people of God were told that once a year, Right after the Passover, you spend the next seven days going through your house and getting all of the leaven out of your house. Leaven is this thing that's added to bread to make it rise and expand and be bigger than it should be. And that is symbolic of sin, that if you don't keep it in check, it will puff you up and it will ruin you. So for seven days, the Hebrew people were instructed, go through your houses. Parents would turn this into a game for the kids. They'd actually hide leaven and have the kids open up cabinets and turn, you know, cabinets upside down, looking around, just trying to find it. Because this was so part of their culture, they knew 
that if they didn't keep it in check, if they let that stuff hide in some closet, it would eventually make, it way, make its way back into the lives of the people. And so God commanded the people once a year, take a census of your own heart and get that garbage out. That is probably the most helpful imagery that we could take when we're reading Revelation chapter 18. Troy, will you cut the air conditioners off for me? Her immorality that we're reading about is like leaven that will get inside your heart and it will absolutely ruin you. So we take our cues from the word of God and we act quickly so that this seduction or this leaven doesn't set in. Because the moment it does, what happens is it starts to affect your worship. It starts to affect your affections. You stop worshiping God with your money and you start worshiping your money. You're no longer content to just speak life into other people. You're upset with what they have and what you don't have and you start speaking death because you're not content with what God has provided for you. You start living outside of those boundaries that we talked about earlier. This is what leaven does, and this call of Revelation 18 mirrors the call from Genesis 19. When an angel came to declare to a wicked city, you're going to burn, and tried to save Lot and his wife. And the angel's message was come out, come out, come out, because things are gonna burn. Sodom is nothing more than a Babylon. Come out, come out, come out. Lot listened, followed the angel out of the city, but his wife was so influenced with the leaven of her city that she turned back because she longed for the wickedness that she lived in and she was destroyed along with the city. Don't forget Lot's wife. So the message to Lot, the message to the believers in Rome, the message to the church in the future, and the message to the church today is come out. Now the question on your mind is what does that look like? Do I have to move? Do I literally come out? Look, I'm gonna be honest with you. For some of you, that's exactly what it means. Some of you, you need to switch jobs. Some of you, you need to move out of that house. Because that job is too close to that girl that's influencing you away from your wife. Or that house lives too, it, it just resides too close to places that make it just too convenient to say yes to things that force you to cross that boundary that God said don't cross. So for some of you, yeah, that's what it means. You're gonna have to move. But for some of you, it doesn't mean literally move. It means come out from under in an emotional or a spiritual sense. Some of you that are supposed to move, you're just like, oh, finally I got a way out, thank you. <laughs> Good, so this is just an emotional thing, okay. <sighs> for some of you, you literally have to move. For some of you, it looks like forsaking an ideology. For some of you, you need to unfollow some of those YouTube channels you've been following because they're discipling you and you don't even realize it. 
They're telling you how to think about things like politics and sexuality, and it's contradictory to the way that God is trying to teach you to think about politics and sexuality. And so the invitation has come out. Stop listening to it. Come out from under its influence. And I think that it's worth the people of God wrestling what this invitation from verse four is. God, when you tell your people to come out, am I your people? And am I supposed to come out? And in what ways am I supposed to come out? I wanna be obedient, I hear you, but I don't know what that means. Please show me. And here's what he's gonna do. He's gonna show you what you knew all along. Because here's the funny thing about God. I've been in ministry for a long time and I see this happen a lot. People will come to me and they're just like, I got this tough decision and I don't know what decision to make. But it's always the same. They know exactly what decision to make. It's just too hard to make it. And they're looking for an out. Can somebody give me an excuse? Can somebody give me a back door? Look, I got bad news for you. There are no outs and there are no back doors. It is a narrow path and there aren't many people walking it. So the invitation for us today is to do what your heavenly father is telling you to do. And you already know it. Stop pretending like you don't. It's just too hard. Obey. Come out. Let's go to verse nine. The kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her. I want you to picture this. This woman, her influence, her cultural, systematic, uh, uh, governmental, every, every form of human exaltation that is represented by this woman has infiltrated every level of society. And the leaders, the kings of the earth, love her because they commit sexual immorality with her. They love her because there's backroom deals. There's people they know with private jets that can fly them to islands that no one knows about. To have affairs and relationships with girls who are not old enough. Kings of the earth, they love this woman. They can't get enough of her because she is the way to get what they want. She's created apps that allow you to swipe so that you never have to let anybody know it's just you and that person that show up at some special place that nobody knows about. The kings of the earth love this woman because she has provided them the ability to commit sexual immorality and live in luxury with her. To own islands and plains all the while telling everybody else what they're doing is wrong while they're doing the same thing they're telling everybody else to stop doing. They love her. They give, she gives them a sense of superiority, power and influence to tell all the little people what they should be thinking and should be saying and doing. Well, they're gonna weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon. 
the one we thought couldn't be conquered, the systems and the structures and the finances and the voting and the power and the wealth, nobody thought you would crumble. But in a single hour, your judgment has come because you can't outrun Yahweh. He knows and he's coming for justice. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold and silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth. These are all the things she was wrapped up in the vision of her in the previous chapter. All kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves. That is, human souls. John hasn't missed anything in the economy of the great prostitute. She deals in everything. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies and all your splendors are lost to you never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, all those who trade is is on the sea, they stood far off and they cried as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city? was like the great city. Man, there was none like her. You boys remember the good old days where we could just slave trade all we wanted? Where we could sell sex on any corner and nobody cared? You remember the good old days? In a single day, everything fell. These men stand far off and cry out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city? like the great city, and they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out loud, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour, she has been laid waste. So when destruction hits Babylon, it hits quick. And we hear the lament of three groups of people, the kings weep, but they're not weeping in repentance. They're lamenting over lost immorality. They haven't learned their lesson. They don't know why the city is being judged or they don't care. All they care about is lining their own pocketbooks and fulfilling their own sexual desires. They don't care that the city burns, which is the reason why in the last chapter we saw the beast turn on the woman and consume her. Because the woman never really cared about the people who were under her feet. And these people 
They don't really care about the city. All they care about is not being able to live their lifestyle as they previously enjoyed. And they're not the only ones. The merchants weep, but not because of repentance. They lament over lost material wealth and the ability to participate in slave trade. Human trafficking. Can't do it anymore. And they're lamenting, not because it's wrong, but because they can't make money off of it anymore. Law, these sailors, the last one, so kings weep, merchants weep, sailors weep, but they don't weep because of repentance. They lament over lost power and global influence because shipping means that you can travel and trade anywhere on the earth. You can go to a people group that nobody knows about, you can abuse them and exploit them for their resources and come back and make a fortune and no one will tell you no. And they're lamenting because that's all over. Because when God judges the great prostitute, everything burns to the the ground. We're talking secret sexual sin, backroom deals, world banks, global military trade deals, alliances that are decades old. Every form of human exaltation is humiliated and burned to the ground and all mankind will weep, but not for the right reasons. The reason why is because nobody recognizes the justice. Nobody affirms that the God who created all of this is not okay with us doing this to each other. He's not okay with human exaltation. Jesus said, Every person who exalts themselves will be humbled. It will happen. So the first 19 verses, nobody understands what God is up to and everyone is weeping except for one group of people. Verse 20, it says rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. The people of God are rejoicing that her wicked ways have finally been brought to an end. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, so will Babylon the great, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more and the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard no more. Craftsmen of any craft will be found no more. The sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. So this section brings a contrast We previously read about the reaction of the kings and the merchants and the sailors 
how they reacted to the fall of Babylon. And then we get a new reaction in verse 20. And the reader is invited to consider where you stand as a person who reacts to the fall of Babylon. Are you counted among those whose heart weeps at the thought of losing the things that this world has to offer? Does your heart break just a little bit at the thought that you might lose something that this world gave you? Or are you counted among those whose heart leaps at the thought of God delivering justice to Babylon? True justice. Now, an important point to consider at this point is that the rejoicing of the saints is not a song of revenge. The people of God are not rejoicing because those who didn't trust in the lamb got what they deserved. They are rejoicing because a just God showed himself as a just God. That he does not let wickedness go unchecked. That every sin that has ever been committed, that has not been atoned for by the Lord Jesus Christ, will be judged on judgment day. You cannot outrun your darkness. He's coming for you. And unless you're covered in the blood of the lamb when he shows up on judgment day, then you will be counted among those who will suffer for all eternity. In a hell that was prepared for the devil and his demons, but will now be a residence for also those who have rejected the lamb. Babylon was an imposter of God's people. It perpetrated violence against God's people. It rivaled the, the lamb and it became an institution that fueled everything that represented human exaltation. They didn't want anything to do with the lamb. They, they created every system they could to throw it back in the lamb's face that we as creation is better than creator. And this song from those who trust in the lamb is a celebration of God's vindication, not a crushing of the lost. That's important. This song is a celebration that our God is just and holy and will not tolerate wickedness. It is not a celebration of the crushing of lost souls. And that's really important for us. And the reason why it's important for us is because it forces us to consider something today. Revelation contains unbelievably vivid imagery of a world that has turned its back on God. This world is filled with debauchery, sin, wickedness, sexual immorality, and idolatry. And it is easy to read a chapter like this and the takeaway is, man, This whole system is against God and his people, and I'm reading about how they're gonna perpetrate violence against his people, and God's people are gonna be murdered. It's easy to read this and see the world as one team and God's people as another, and to start painting yourself as a victim. You mean to tell me that the dragon's out for me? Oh, well, then, 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 uh, uh, I'm some small protected class then. I need some kind of protections. 
Is there any city or government or other system that can provide me the kind of protection against the perpetrations of the dragon? Nope, because they're all in it together. It's the same message Isaiah proclaimed. Do not make foreign alliances because they're all under judgment. If some person, if some nation comes to you and says, we'll protect you, small victim class, we'll take care of you, just come and do things our way, come and trust our systems. You're gonna have to shift your thoughts on a few things, but it's not big things. Just come over here and start talking like us, send your kids to our schools, do things our way, we'll take care of you. That is nothing more than another version of the great prostitute's lies. See, she's got her hands in both sides of it. Those who she's stirring to perpetrate violence against God's people and those who are offering protection for God's people. God's people, I got one message for you. There's only one place of protection. There's only one refuge. There's only one fortress. It's the Lord God Almighty. And every other offer will leave you in chains. You are not a victim. You are not a special class that needs special privileges. You are the people of God. You are the only ones in this crazy world with the truth. You are the only lampstands. And your mission is to not see the lost as the enemy. Your mission is to reach the lost with the good news. So after reading all these chapters about what's gonna happen to God's people, the, the, the thing that could creep in is bitterness and anger. Well, what's the point? If they're all gonna turn on us anyway, what's, what's the point in us even doing anything? I'm just gonna sit back and I'm not, I'm not gonna say anything because they're not gonna enjoy the message. They're not gonna hear the message. They don't wanna hear the gospel. They wanna just continue in the darkness. Guess who's whispering that in your ear? The great prostitute. She's witness. She, she's the one. With, she's the one telling you that. Don't bother. They're not going to turn. They don't want to hear the good news. They're just going to cuss you out. Ignore it. Don't talk to your neighbor. Don't invite them over for dinner. Don't invite somebody to church. Don't share them. Don't share the gospel with them. Everyone in the everyone in the world has heard the gospel. Everybody knows Jesus' name. Don't even bother. Who talks like that? The great whore of Babylon talks like that. She's the one that wants to stop the gospel going forth. And so as we're reading through this, the, 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 the temptation sometimes can be, well, what's the point? And I'm here to tell you that the point is to teach the people of this world the ways of God. Now, there will be some that don't want it, but there was a time in your life where you didn't want it and somebody told you the good news, and the Holy Spirit snatched you up and you have a new life. And that could be the future for your neighbor or the person that you work with. So here's, here's the caveat. In order to preach the message to those who were under the influence of the great prostitute, 
in order to preach to them, come out, come out. There's a better life. You don't want to live in chains. Come out from under that. You have to be out from under that. You can't preach to a people to come out if you're still living under the influence of that great prostitute. So the question we have to wrestle with today is, what does it look like for your life to be under the influence of Babylon? How has Babylon ticked in your home? And once you start identifying where Babylon has ticked in your heart and in your mind, you have to make a decision. What do I do about it? Am I going to let it change the way that I spend my time? Look, sometimes I feel like I have to speak high enough so that the Holy Spirit can do the piercing because I don't know all of the specifics. So sometimes I don't go very specific into things. Sometimes I try to go general. But I was having a conversation with my wife this week about one of the influences that I see this great prostitute having over our culture, our nation, and the time and the period that we live in. And, one, and, and it has to do with this, this, this infatuation with being young and staying young. Listen to me. There has never been a, his, a point in the history of the world when old people wanted to be young and young people didn't want to be old. Throughout the history of the world, being old meant you were wiser. Maybe your bones didn't work like the way they used to, but it, you hit a point at which you stopped doing stupid things. Look, I love you young people, but, but the truth is, I looked at my kids and they're all mad at me now. The truth is there is, the, the, Babylon is selling something to this culture and, the, and what she's selling is, don't, don't respect your elders. They're idiots. Boomer, Karen, you don't have anything to add to me. Who do you think you are? You don't have anything to, you don't have anything to add to me. I'm autonomous. I'm living my best life now. I'm 17. I know everything. Don't tell, you can't tell me anything. I'm 23. You have no idea what's been perpetrated against me and my generation. I can't even afford to live. Well, part of it is because you don't want to own a house. You want to rent everything. You want to Uber here. You want to rent a house here. You don't want to own anything. You want to rent everything. That's why you can't afford anything. The problem is that seeps into the culture and the older generation starts thinking, well, man, I, no one wants to listen to what I have to say. I don't have any value. I don't know what, what I'm supposed to share. Maybe what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to, to get young again. So you got old people walking around dressing like they're 23. You've got pastors who are 55 in skinny jeans. Like, dude, what are you doing? No, 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 no. What God's people need from you is wisdom. Stop trying to dress like people who have no wisdom. That's the kind of garbage she's selling. Go and get a surgery. Go and buy this. When you look in the, in the mirror, you're too old to be relevant. No one, no, this hits, oh, this starts hitting really hard at 40, right? And I'm right in there. I'm like 41, so I'm just beginning this journey with you. I get it? But here, let me tell you, I'm on a mission to make old cool again. All right? Look, 
Stop dyeing your hair. Let it go gray. <laughs> the infatuation we have with staying young is robbing an entire generation of the wisdom we have because we want to be like them and they have nothing to look up to. That's a perfect example of what Babylon is doing. And so when you ask yourself, well, what is she doing? How is she working? How am I supposed to combat that? Look, it's in everything. It's in asking yourself when you walk in on Tuesday to vote, how should I vote? Not how, not, not, not how some party told me to vote, not how my parents told me to vote, but literally what does the Bible say are my core convictions and what do I want to see reflected in the land that I live in? What kind of changes do I need to make at work? Where do I need to move to? What kind of decisions do I need to make about education for my kids or my finances? What, does, what different decisions do I need to make about the entertainment? Do I really need to start keep spending so much money on these streaming services that are not filling my home with edification and asking me to behold the glory of Jesus? They're asking me to exalt humanity. And I guess the biggest question is, after my rant, can you see the spike of Babylon in our culture and our country today? But even more so, because it's one thing to say, man, they're all wrong, they got everything. Man, if we just do this, we change some things, everything's wrong out there. To ignore the things that are wrong in your own heart. Where is the spike of Babylon in your own heart? And until you figure out where that is, there's no value in pointing fingers out there because change starts in the home and the gospel spreads out from there. So don't spend any time trying to help somebody else if your own life is broken. Seek the Lord for transformation, restoration, and healing. Come out from under Babylon and then you will be able to call other people out from under Babylon. Let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.